This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. And we worship God together just corporately, just as His kids, as the family of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we honor Him and that we say, Lord, have Your way. Have Your way in our lives. Have Your way today in this service. Have Your way, God, because we trust You. We trust you above everything else, Lord. Isn't it just an honor to get to come and do this week in and week out and worship God? And just, it's just an awesome thing. If you've got your Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as you're turning, I just want to make a quick announcement to you that um, we've been doing these um, midweek videos, and we're calling this series Elements. How many of you guys have seen one of the midweek videos that we've put out? A few of you, not near enough. I uh, just want to throw out uh, this to you that uh, we've been putting together these short, they're five, six minute videos just basically recapping and taking a little deeper what we teach here on the weekend and I just kind of go through a, a little bit more, maybe taking it to a, another place, uh, kind of the, the topic that we talked about and uh, it's just a great way to remind you, to encourage you, to challenge you to go deeper in the Word and go deeper with God. And so if you haven't watched any of those, there's two of them on there right now because we're in the third week of this series, Raised to Life, and we're going to continue to do this. Um, you can go to wogcc.com and go, over, go under the media section and go to the videos and you'll be able to see them on the video section of our website. And if you don't um, have Facebook, then that would be the best way to do that because we've been putting them out there on Facebook. So if you haven't liked the Word of Grace Facebook page, if you like the page, um, then you'll see them when, they, uh, when we post them because when, when we put them on our Vimeo site, we kind of throw them out there on Facebook too. And that's probably where the majority of you have seen those videos is through Facebook. And, and when you see those things, uh, I want you to share them with other people um, for the sake of getting the gospel out there because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about his goodness and to be able to encourage other people to share that with other people. Man, uh, what, a, what a great easy way to do it. So make sure to take advantage of that tool um, if you're unaware of that and go online at wogcc.com and check those out. So um, if you have Second Corinthians uh, 5 and 21, let's go ahead before we read this and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for your church. Thank you so much for all of those who have assembled here together today to worship you in spirit and in truth and to hear your word. I pray that our hearts will be ready to receive, God, and our minds will be alert and we'll be ready to understand, Father, the things you would have us understand today so we can grow in understanding how awesome and how great you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this title, Awaken to Grace. Awaken to Grace. You can also follow along on your tablet or your iPhone or whatever you brought with you on the Uversion app if you want to do that as well. So make sure you take advantage of that. Awaken to Grace. As I was praying and preparing and studying, thinking about this, I was thinking about our identity in Christ. There's a lot of things in this world that would want to scream out to us, put your identity in me, whether that be someone else's opinion of you that would create a sort of ceiling for how far in life you think you can go or what exactly it is that you have been created to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have these ceilings in life that other people would want to say, well, you can't do this or you can't do that. Or we have these ceilings that maybe are placed on ourselves by something we've done in our past. And we think, well, I am never going to truly be able to be this or that because I've done this. And because I'm hindered and because I am always going to be tied to everyone remembering me as this person. 
And we wrap our identity up in that. We wrap our identity up in things. We wrap our identities up in relationships. And we think that I'm, I, I can't be who I am without having this type of house, living in this type of neighborhood, having this kind of job, whatever the case may be. We think that that makes us complete, that that how somehow uh, creates this sense of worth and this sense of significance. And we chase these things all throughout life. And we're going and we're really looking for our identity. Well, I want to tell you today that for us to truly awaken to grace means that we're going to have to understand that our identity is not wrapped up in things, our identity is not wrapped up in our past, our identity is not wrapped up in all of the junk that we've been through or what limitations people would try to put on us. Our identity should be wrapped up in Jesus Christ because your purpose in Christ is to place your identity in Christ, okay? That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to understand that our identity, our sense of self, who we are, should be wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Because we need to awaken to the fact that we desperately need Jesus and that Jesus is truly all-sufficient and he satisfies and he's truly all that we need. Amen, somebody? Because you see, in and of myself, I can't be right with God. And that's why I need Jesus, because no matter how good I try to be, no matter how good I try to act, no matter how nice of a person I am, I can never be good enough or nice enough to be right with God. I can never be good enough to be right with God. We use this church word a lot. It's called righteous. We say this word a lot. And I think a lot of times we don't really grasp the full meaning of what it means to be righteous. And that word righteous simply means right standing in the eyes of God. Right standing. So when the Bible says righteous, it's talking about us being in right relationship, in right standing with God. And nothing you could do in and of yourself could earn you a place in God's eyes that would place you in right standing with Him. So Jesus came and He did it all. Amen, somebody? Check this out. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, the Bible says this. For He, talking about God made him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God took his son, who knew no sin, and he became sin for you and for me, so that we could become right in the eyes of God, so we could be in right standing with God. So it was nothing that you and I could do. It was nothing we could fix or figure out. So when I'm looking for my identity, I need to wrap my identity up in the fact that now because of Jesus, I've been made right with God. And that I have to have Him in my life. There's nothing I could do, there's nothing I could say that would make me right with God. Only Jesus. Amen? That's what the Bible is saying here. Everything changes when you realize who you are. Everything changes when you awaken to grace, when you begin to wrap your identity up in who Christ is, and you begin to identify with Christ, then all of a sudden things begin to change in your life. You quit identifying with who you used to be. You quit identifying with all the things that other people have tried to say about you to keep you stuck. You quit identifying with the things that you've done. A lot of us think that we have to somehow reprogram our identity because I've been a bad person and I realize I've been bad so I think that if I do enough good that that'll make me good no you can't make yourself good only Jesus can 
You can try your hardest to be good. You can try to reprogram through self-motivation. You can try to get 10 steps to this or 10 steps to that. But let me tell you something. Without Christ, it's all meaningless because you can never be good enough to be in right standing with God. Amen? That's why even people who aren't Christians, they try to be good people. I mean, people who don't follow Christ, there's people out there that don't even know Jesus that are doing nice things in the world, right? People that are giving away their money to charities and doing nice things that don't know Christ at all. So I can't equate following Christ with just being a good person and doing good things. No, there's something deeper. There's something more that's more meaningful. There's something that I'm supposed to actually place my identity in, and it's not being a good person. It's actually the exact opposite. It's me realizing that I'm hopeless, I'm dead in my sin, and I have no hope at all apart from Christ. And when I place my identity in Him, then guess what happens? I have hope now. I have life now and life in abundance because that's what Jesus said in John 10.10. He said, I've come that you can have life and life in abundance. He said, the thief is coming to steal, kill, and destroy, but this is why I've come, so I can make what was dead alive. Not so I can make necessarily bad people good, but so I can make dead people alive. Because you and I in our sin, we're dead. All of us are in the same boat in our deadness to sin, and we need something, and that's the gift of God's grace, something we didn't earn, something we couldn't be good enough to get, that he actually gave to us as a gift freely. That's what grace is. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves, not something you did. The Bible said it's a gift of God, not of works, not something you earned, lest anyone should boast. So you can't go, oh, well, look at me. Look at how good I am. No, actually, it's the exact opposite. It's that we realize, you know what? There is nothing good in me except Jesus. Amen? It's me realizing I'm bad. I'm bad. I know it. Shimon. <laughs> Whatever that means. It's me realizing that I'm bad, that I'm hopeless, that I'm a wreck, that I'm a mess. You know the song? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I'm the wretch that the song was talking about. Not the guy sitting next to me. Not the guy across the room. Because you know what? We can have the, 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 the temptation there to think, you know what? I'm pretty good because I know what that guy over there is doing. I'm pretty good. I'm a good person. I come to church, live a clean, healthy life do nice things for other people, and we can put our hope in our goodness instead of our hope in the fact that without Christ we're dead. Jesus didn't come just to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive, and he wants us to place our identity in him. Amen? By receiving this gift, this gift of grace, this gift of this love of his son, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He wants us to receive that gift that you and I could never earn or deserve to be made in right standing with God. But the thing about grace is that grace is received by the people who realize they need it. Hello, somebody. Grace is received by the people that realize they need it. So you and I need to realize we need Him. Oh, somebody. Pastor is about to get his preach on up in here. Mark, 
chapter 10 and verse 17. I reference this story a lot here in this series, but we're going to go there again, but we're going to put it up on the screen for you so you can follow along. Mark chapter 10 and verse 17 says this. Now as he, talking about Jesus, Jesus is going out on the road, and then this guy comes running towards him, and he knelt down before him, and he asked Jesus, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You, do, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And this guy looks at Jesus and he says, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. I've been doing this a long time. I've been good for a long time. And Jesus looks at him, and what does the Bible say? Loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And then check out what happens. Then Jesus looked, and he said to his disciples, he goes, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said, Children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? This is actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then the disciples start freaking out. Oh, man. They said amongst themselves, who can be saved? Oh, man, this is impossible. Who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and he said, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter, oh, Peter, looked at Jesus and he said, see, Jesus, we have left all and followed you. And Jesus answered, and the Bible doesn't say this, but Jesus said this. He said, <laughs> Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake of the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions <clears throat> and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first, they're actually going to be last. And the guys that are last, they're going to get to actually come up to the front of the line. Let's paint this picture here of this rich young guy, first of all, who approaches Jesus. He may have known who Jesus was, may have not. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. He may have known Jesus' good works, his good deeds, his miracles. He may have even heard a sermon or two by Jesus. We don't know. But he knew he was a teacher, knew he was a rabbi, so he runs up to Jesus. So just imagine this, you're in Walmart, right? And this guy comes up to you, and he immediately drops down to one knee. And you're like, bleh. And this guy looks up at Jesus, and he says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus doesn't go, wow, that guy, check him out, one knee, good teacher. No, Jesus looks at me, and he says, why are you calling me good? Why are you calling me good? You don't even know me. You think I'm good? What, did you hear a story about me? You think I'm good because I did good things? Actually, Jesus was letting the man know up front, I see right through your game. I see right through what you're trying to do. You're trying to come to me and you're trying to suck up. You're trying to come up to me and you're trying to go, oh, good teacher, what may I do to inherit eternal life? Because really what you're wanting to hear is, oh, you've been good enough to inherit eternal life. That's really what the guy was wanting. He was interested in, okay, tell me, validate me that I've been good enough to get what I want from you. And Jesus looked at him and said, why do you call me good? Actually, you're bad because no one is good except God. 
He said, nobody's good. You're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. We are all bad. That's what Jesus was saying. And he said, okay, okay. Do you think Jesus knew everything? Was he God? Yeah, in the flesh? Do you think Jesus knew this guy was coming? Do you think Jesus knew who this guy was? Yeah, he created him. He knew who this guy was. Do you think that Jesus knew that after he asked him the question that he asked him, that he wouldn't be able to do it? Do you think Jesus knew that? Of course Jesus knew that. Jesus knew how the guy was going to respond. So it, it, it interests me to see that Jesus would ask this man, he said, well, you've got to you know, keep the commandments. That's, you know, and you know, oh, I've done those things since I was a little kid. I've been a good person. He said, well, if you want to be perfect, why don't you go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then take up your cross, come follow me. Can't do it. He walked away sad. And then Peter, Lord, I have forsaken all to follow you. And Jesus goes, Ah, Peter, 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 you're missing it. Actually, you're going to be persecuted because you're following me. You're going to have eternal life. You put your trust in me, but you're, you're missing the point. You see, I think that oftentimes you and I can be on one side of the coin or the other because we have placed our identity in our good works and we think we're good people because we do good things. Just like the rich young ruler, he thought he was a good person because he had done good things. And then Peter thought he was a good person because he was broke. There's a lot of people who think that they're good people because I don't have anything and I've left everything to follow you, Jesus, and that's why I'm good. But Jesus said, you guys are missing the whole picture. I'm actually going to ask you to do something that I know you're not going to be able to do. Just like when Jesus, you remember when Jesus was talking to a group of people and he told them, you've heard it said that you're not supposed to murder. But I say to you, if you've ever been angry with your brother, you've had those murderous intentions, you've already done it in your heart. You've heard it said that don't commit adultery. So there's a group of people out there that are like, I haven't committed adultery. I'm good. I have not committed adultery. But Jesus said, I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman and lusts in, her heart, lusts in his heart after her has already committed adultery in his heart. Well, that kind of puts everybody in the same boat. Everybody's a bunch of murderers and adulterers, and, and they haven't, may not actually have committed the actual act. In other words, Jesus was saying, you can't be right with God in your own self, in your own brand of righteousness. Jesus was saying, you need grace, but you can only receive grace when you realize you need it. A lot of us think we're good, so we don't really think we need it. We think we're pretty good. I'm pretty good. I don't really need grace. Let me tell you what, that's exactly the problem that the Pharisees had. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and the Pharisees were the most moral people on the planet. Yeah, these guys had some run-ins with Jesus where they, was, you know, they were upset with him. But these weren't bad people in the sense of what you and I would consider bad people because every one of us has a list of what good things are and bad things are. And if you do these things, well, you're good. And if you do these bad things, you know the bad things, right? At least I don't do those things. And because I don't do those things, I feel pretty good. But Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, and you're hopeless, buddy. 
Well, the Pharisees, they held the, the law. They were, they were doers of good. But he said, your righteousness actually exceed them, and, and we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. The rich young ruler couldn't do it. Peter couldn't do it. We couldn't do it because we in and of ourselves need to realize how wretched and hopeless we are apart from Christ. How empty we are apart from Christ. How dead we are because of sin apart from Christ. The thing is, is that Jesus wasn't telling the man how to be perfect. He was, he was telling the man that no matter how hard he tried, he could never be perfect. He was saying that good things don't fix the problem that apart from God, you're a dead sinner. That's what he was saying. Good things don't fix, because we go backwards with this thing. We think that if we do enough good things, that that will make us good people. But grace is the foundation for good things. Grace is the foundation for good things. You see, when we realize how empty and how bad we are and how dead we are apart from Christ, then we actually realize we need Him. When we realize we need Him and we say, Jesus, you're all I need. I need you because I realize without you I'm hopeless. Then all of a sudden He comes in and He changes my heart. He makes me right with God. I'm now become a part of the family of God. I'm free. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm no longer walking under condemnation. And now good things come out of me as a result of me realizing I need Him. Good things come out of me naturally because the Bible says that, that, that He's the vine and we are the branch. He's the vine. The same life that flows through the vine flows into the branch. And it produces fruit. You can't take the fruit and work your way backwards and go, oh, I'll do good fruit and then it'll change the core of me. No. That's not how it works. The heart is what is at enmity with God. The Bible says you and I are actually enemies of God because of sin. Because we've rebelled against Him. Not just us trying to somehow pay penance for all the bad things that we've done. Because that's not how righteousness works. Righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's a gift. That's the only thing that could make us right with God. Amen? And then as a result of me receiving this free gift, all of a sudden good things begin to flow out of me because Jesus said make a tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad because a tree is known by its fruits, not the other way around. Amen, somebody? You see, I grew up in church. I would consider myself in my own eyes, and for many years have considered myself in my own eyes a really good person. I've never been drunk before. I have never done drugs. Uh, my wife nor myself had premarital sex. We were pretty moral, good people. Didn't watch bad movies. Didn't go out partying all night. We didn't do those things. I've never done those things. And I used to think because of that, I was at church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday morning prayer, Tuesday night prayer. What? That's right. <laughs> every Monday from the time I was 15 to 18, I was in the jail cell every Monday preaching to the people in jail. I was in a Christian band at the age of 15 to the age of 18 that would travel around to different youth groups and I would preach and I would play my bass guitar and sing songs about God and lead people in worship. I've been doing that for a long time. And because I've been doing all those things, well, pretty good. 
feeling pretty good about myself because I think that, you know, God gives me a gold star by my name because of how good I am. No, God won't even talk to me in who I am. The only way I can talk to God is because Jesus brought me into the family of God. And I had to awaken to the fact that no matter how good I thought I was, I was in the same boat as all of the serial killers, murders, and rapists that are in the world because I was dead in sin. I was dead in sin apart from Jesus Christ, no matter how good I thought I was because I can't save myself. Amen, somebody? I can't save myself. You can't save yourself. None of us can save ourselves. I remember this movie, um, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. You seen that movie? Old Clint Eastwood movie? Maybe yeah, maybe no. There's a scene in that movie. Clint Eastwood, he's a young guy back in those days, you know. That was before he was talking to chairs and all that stuff. Clint, Clint Eastwood... Clint Eastwood was the, the, this cowboy, and, and he's, he's lost in the desert, right? He, get, he gets abandoned in the desert, and he's, he's searching for water. That's what he's looking for, because he knows without water he's going to die. He searches, and he's, he, he's, he's dehydrated. His burnt skin, he's tattered and worn and weary, and he knows that his end is coming soon if he doesn't get water. And when he finally comes up on some water, all of a sudden he doesn't care what it looks like. He doesn't care what it smells like. He doesn't care how packaged and how pretty it is. No one has to allure him and, and attract him to the water. He runs for it with every ounce of energy that he has, and he just begins to let it splash all over his face as he tries to get as much as he can into his mouth. He just wants that water so badly because he knows without it he's going to die. Folks, let me tell you, we need Jesus more than we need water, more than we need air, because without Jesus, we are going to die a death that is full of sin, that is disconnected, that is unrighteous apart from God, and we need Him. We try to package Jesus in this way that maybe will attract people to Him. Maybe we can put this nice Jesus label on this. Maybe we can put it just right so everyone will go, ooh, that's nice, Jesus. I'm going to try some of that. No, that's not how you get saved, by, uh, by, by being appealed by some attractive Jesus that's going to do all these things for you. No, when you realize how desperately we need him, you will run to him. I don't care what you look like, what you smell like, what you act like, what you came from, what background, what history, what junk you're struggling with, what people have said about you, how people have tried to wrap this, this ceiling around you and this identity that they've tried to give you and force on you. When you realize you need him, you are desperate for him, that you will seek after him and say, I need you, Jesus. I need you. Your grace, your gift is something that is satisfying me like nothing else in this world can because I've awakened to the fact that I need you because you can only receive grace when you realize you need it. You've got to realize and wake up. We all have to awaken to the fact. I had to awaken to the fact as a good Christian boy in most people's eyes that I needed Jesus. Because apart from Christ, even the best person is still a bad person that is not right in the eyes of God. If, if it took just being a good person to be right in the eyes of God, then don't you think... That people, you guys seen that show where they build houses for people? 
You know, the move that bus. Oh, they built the house. They're so nice. Oh, oh my God. It's a great show. And we all watch it and we cry. I don't care if they build a thousand houses for people. If they don't know Jesus, it's not going to make them right with God. Hello, somebody. Because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the light. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm all sufficient. I'm all you need. I am enough. I'm the foundation. Don't seek after good things. He said, seek after me. A lot of times we seek after good things because we think that if we do enough good things and if we have enough good things, then that all of a sudden makes us a Christian. Well, look at them, boy. Look at what they have. Look at how nice they are. Look at what they do. No, 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 no. It's not me chasing after good things to try to attain righteousness in the eyes of God. It's about grace being the foundation, and He is the greater purpose. He is the greater thing for me to get, and we're not supposed to seek after the lesser things because He is it. Amen? And here's the beauty of it, is that those lesser things you've been seeking after, that you've been looking for identity in, that you've been looking for satisfaction in, that you've been looking for salvation in, all the lesser things in life are included when we seek the greater. The greater always includes the lesser. It always includes the lesser. Don't seek after things. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to wear. Jesus said after all these things, the Gentiles seek, the people that didn't know God. that's, That's what they seek after. They said, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the righteousness of God is Jesus Christ. And that's how we're made right in right standing with him. And he is the greater one. He is the one that satisfies He is the one that is more than enough. And he always includes those lesser things that are a million times smaller than him that you and I may seek after. No, I'm going to be satisfied with Christ and then he's going to give me what I need because the Bible says he'll supply my needs according to his riches and glory. Amen? So that means that I could be shipwrecked on an island and Christ could still be enough. Amen? Because the greater always includes the lesser. I can still be happy. I don't have to search after happiness. No, I seek after Christ, and then I find my joy in Him. Amen? I don't have to search for peace. Oh, I need peace, so I'm going to go to the bar because I'm freaking out and stressed out, and I need to drown my sorrows and sing some country songs. <laughs> Karaoke night, my God, friends, in low places. <laughs> Woo! I love you, man. Do you believe in God? Yeah, I do. Or we think we have to be a socialite to be accepted and everyone just has to think so well of us and how good we are. Oh, look at me and look what I have. Oh, let me go, you know. I'm getting my, you know. And we think that somehow that makes us right with God or makes us special. Those are the lesser things in life that we chase after. And we're really not, it's not that God gives us the things as much as the things that we're searching from the things, if that makes any sense. It makes sense in my mind. Maybe not in yours, but I get it. (laughs) The thing we're searching from the thing oftentimes is significance or, or for joy or for peace. But Jesus gives us those things apart from the things. He'll give you things, but more importantly, he'll give you the thing you're looking for from the thing. <laughs> That's deep right there. I'll throw you guys a life preserver or something. That's some deep stuff right there, man. 
Here's the thing that we need to realize is that grace is greater. Amen? Grace is greater. Check this out in the book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. Is this helping anybody? It's sure is helping me. And if you say no, I'll feel really weird. <laughs> Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 says this, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That means you and me before Christ. Ungodly. Bad unrighteous, filthy sinners, no matter how righteous we try to be in our eyes, the Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags. Verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. You know, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for you and me. For if when we were enemies, when we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more now we're reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. <coughs> Says that scarcely would someone die for a righteous man. Would you die for someone you love? A lot of us say, yeah, of course I would. I'd die for my wife, for my kids. Yeah, I'd die. I'd take a bullet for them, push them out of the way of a you know, car that was going to hit them. I'd move them out of the way, and I'd, I'd, I'd die in their place. Would we? We say these things, and yet we haven't been in those situations because you're all still here. <laughs> we hope we would do that. We, we're pretty sure we would do that. Would we take a bullet for somebody that we've never met? I don't know. I mean, I, say, I can say, yeah, sure I would. Because that's a good Christian church answer, right? That's a Sunday school answer. But would we really? Would we die for somebody without even knowing them? So they could live? Uh, let me ask you this. Would we die for Charles Manson? Would we say, no, no, no. Don't put Manson in the chair. I'll go so he can live. Would we die for Osama bin Laden? Who killed thousands of people in acts of terror in our country? And in other countries? Would we say, no, 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 don't shoot him, shoot me instead so he can live? It's exactly what Jesus did. It's exactly what Jesus did. He died for all of us. For God so loved who? World. That he gave his only begotten son. Now, by our laws, by our American laws... You know the Apostle Paul in the Bible? This guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Okay, the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul, before his name was changed to Paul, he was a guy named Saul of Tarsus. <coughs> and his number one job was to oversee persecution of Christians because he thought that if he could persecute them, kill them, maim them, torture them, that he could somehow be right with God. And God confronted him. He met Jesus Christ and he changed his life. And then he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. If Saul of Tarsus were alive today and lived in the United States of America, went around killing Christians, he would be in jail right now. Would he not? We would throw that joker in jail. You killing some Christians? Mm -mm, I don't think so. And we would throw him and his Christian killing self in jail. And then what if, while he was in jail, he started writing words he said was from God, and then he passed them out to different churches? We would go, I don't think so. That's a guy who killed Christians. But we're reading it today. 
We're reading it today, and that's exactly who he was. That's exactly who he was. Why? Because his identity became wrapped up in grace. He began to awaken to grace, and and who he was now was all wrapped up in Christ. Matter of fact, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said, I don't know anything except Christ and himself crucified. That's all I got. He said, and he's enough for me. The, the, the baddest of the bad, God saved. And he ended up authoring two-thirds of the New Testament, which we read and preach and study. And by our American laws, he would be in jail awaiting death row. That puts a different spin on things, doesn't it? When we think about it like that. When we think about, oh, I... I wouldn't die for Charles Manson. Are you kidding me? That guy's a serial killer. I wouldn't die for Osama bin Laden. Matter of fact, I would want to stand there and watch him be executed so I could feel right and good because I didn't kill all those people. I didn't oversee 9-11. That was a terrible thing. And yeah, it was a terrible thing and it was horrible, but Jesus died for that man and he could have cried out to God at his last moments before his life was taken and God could have saved his soul. You know that? Does that not mess you up? Jesus died for the worst of us. Amen? Because without Christ, we're all in the same boat. We're all wicked and evil. We're all dead men. Some of us may do more wicked acts than others, but it doesn't make any of us any less dead. (laughs) Because without Christ, we are dead. He's raised us to life. The Bible says that we have died with Christ. We were buried with Christ, and now we've been raised together in life with Christ. We're now a part of his family. We're now a part of the kingdom of God because of Jesus, not because of, we di- of what we did. Our righteousness, our right standing with God is wrapped up in Christ. That's why Jesus is enough, and that's why you and I could never save anybody, because we would rather sit there and watch someone who did wrong be punished than we would give our life for them. That's why we're not the Savior. Thank God, right? Oh, man, if you had to put your hope in me, whoo, buddy, let me tell you, there's all kinds of mess in my life. There's all kinds of mess in your life. That's why we can't put our hope of salvation in ourselves and how good we can be. We can only put our hope in the perfection of the man, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and died after living a sinless life. He actually absorbed the wrath of God, became sin so I could know righteousness, so my identity could completely change. I'm no longer identifying with who I used to be. I'm no longer identifying with the dead man. I'm now identifying with Christ. I'm a son and a daughter of the King of Kings. I am now a part of the family of God. I can now boldly approach his throne and I can talk to him. I can can be, be unashamed in the eyes of God because he said, I'm not even condemned anymore. Because Romans 8 and 1 says there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. I am free. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen, somebody? You see, when we awaken to grace, 
is when we realize we need him. When we awaken to that and we go, you know what? I need you, Jesus. I need you more than anything. When we awaken to grace, we wrap our identity up in Jesus. And it no longer becomes about what I've done or who I've been or how good or bad I've tried to be. It doesn't become like the rich young ruler who said, look how good I've been. It doesn't become like Peter who says, look what all I've left. It just becomes all about Jesus and he becomes enough. Amen, somebody? We awaken to that need for grace. We awaken to that need for him. We awaken to the fact, just like Clint Eastwood chasing after that water, I've got to have you. I've got to have you. But we've got to realize we need him. I'm free because the Son has set me free. I'm forgiven because the, the one who has the power to forgive sins by his blood has forgiven me. The weight of my guilt can be lifted. And what does it do? It drives me to serve him. It drives me to worship. You want to know something that's really interesting to me? Is that if you like football, when you go to a football game, if you watch the Packers or whoever you like, anyways, <laughs> whoever you like, Nobody has to go, okay, now cheer, everyone. Woo! No one says, boo the ref. Five, four, three, two, one. Now! Nobody's there doing that. Nobody is teaching you to cheer for your team when they score. No one is telling you to get emotional and upset or excited when there's a victory or whatever the case may be. Nobody teaches you how to do that. What is it? It's a response. It's a natural response to something that you see, to something that you're invested in, that you're connected to, that you're like, oh, man, I'm there. Oh, I'm so excited. You'll throw your soda across the room. How many televisions have been broken because things have been thrown at them at a football game? I mean, how, how, how many big messes have been made in our living rooms because we kicked something over because we were so enthralled in what was happening over something that was going on on television? Woo! Because pastors are trying to make a point. Exactly. <laughs> when you understand the goodness, how many sound men have been made nervous because pastors kicking my <laughs> when it's When it's something you understand, when you get it, when you understand your need for it, when you're invested in it, nobody has to tell you to worship Jesus. Nobody tell, has to tell you to pursue him and have a relationship with him and try to somehow package him and, and, and make him attractive. So all of a sudden you'll go, ooh, look at that. No, when you understand you need him, when you understand he is life, you will run to him. You will worship him. Love God, love people, and serve the world that's on our big red wall out there is not a command that equates to good Christianity. It's a natural ebb and flow because when we love God, when we awaken to grace, when we wrap our identity up in the fact that we're righteous and right standing with God as sons and daughters of God, then we will naturally ebb and flow, love people, and serve the world. It will be a fruit. It will be a good thing that the foundation of which is grace and it's flowing out of our life because we understand our need for Him. So I'm petitioning you this morning to awaken to grace by realizing no matter how good you think you are we never 
get to a place in our lives where we're so good that we don't need Jesus more than we need water or air. It's actually in us realizing how bad we are and how dead we are that drives us to go, I need you. That's what frees me to worship. That's what frees me to live for Him. That's what takes the weight off of my shoulders. So many people live under guilt and condemnation and you can't even breathe because you're trying to be somebody for God because you think that's going to earn you His love. You don't earn a gift, right? If you earn a gift, then it's no longer a gift. If your kid opens a present on Christmas morning and goes, yeah, I deserve this, you go, no, you don't. Give me that back, you joker. <laughs> they go, wow, a bike, wow. You know, a, a doll, wow, a new Lego set, whatever. They get so jazzed about it, wow. You gave me something that you wanted me to have, and I, I didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't do anything to deserve it. It's just because you're my child, and I love you. Folks, you can't earn God's love. You can't earn forgiveness. You can't earn grace. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Amen? We awaken to grace when we realize our need for Him. Would you bow your heads this morning? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.